Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. So when did you decide that we would need to colonize other planets to ensure the future of humanity is the question Um, that I would ask Elon Musk if he were sitting in your chair, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the decision was pretty easy. Um, It makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to a Starbucks the other day and they fucked up my coffee and I was like, right, I'm out of here. Going to Mars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where they have real coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't get it wrong on Mars. Well, I am pretty convinced that we're living in a simulation just because of so many weird coincidences that happen day after day. And I think part of that is also... uh. The artificial intelligence, which I am kind of skeptical or not skeptical. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's, that it, it already exists. I guess I'm skeptical that it isn't already in control of all of the, the inner workings of, of really all operations on the planet. I think that was kind of the goal of, of artificial intelligence because the simulation theory goes, right? That we are living that. Okay, so this is what I like to believe. We've successfully invented time travel. But we can't go forward. We can only go backward. So in the future, they've developed this simulation that is generated by artificial intelligence. And what they're trying to accomplish is... Basically, they've learned that the world ends at this time, on this date, however many years in the future, and they're trying to figure out how to beat the apocalypse, Armageddon, essentially. Uh, that's, that's cool. That's cool. So they've been running this simulation over and over again to figure out where they keep going wrong, because the, they, they continually fail to beat Armageddon. The world still ends at X time on X day. And I do feel like that is part of Elon Musk's drive because he believes in the simulation theory too. He thinks it's more likely that we're living in a simulation than than we are living in what they refer to as base reality. And I think his drive to colonize other planets is, is part of this loose belief structure. I mean, and simulation theory is just like any other uh, sort of religious belief system. Like a lot of people disagree on many of the other finer details. But if you look back through, so guys like uh, Graham Hancock, he's like the, uh, I guess you could say, or, or loosely describe him as like an ancient aliens guy. He um, believes that there was advanced civilizations of humanoids 
on the planet and that there was some catastrophe like 12,000 years ago that wiped all of those people off the planet. Now we know that there was an ice age on the planet and that it's been getting steadily warmer ever since. And this is where the, the climate change myth, in my opinion, comes from. Oh, it's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. We got to fix it. We got to find some way to turn the heat down. Which is all just a pipe dream, in my opinion. So, if we had an advanced civilization 12,000 years ago, well, what happened to it? Well, maybe it got too hot and all of the food went away. Or maybe they built a rocket ship and found new planets to colonize. And now they're coming back. And that's why we have all these extraterrestrial sightings. But if that's the case, and the world is getting warmer and warmer and we can't do anything to stop it, then we have Elon Musk building rockets to take us to Mars. Or, or, or maybe it's like that movie, uh, Don't Look Up from, uh, from Netflix, where he just wants to figure out how to harvest minerals from asteroids. But what I don't believe is that he bought Twitter just to save humanity, which is what yeah. he claimed on, on Joe Rogan's podcast. And, I, and hearing him say that was really upsetting because I wanted, I wanted to believe, I, I do want to believe that he is a, a, a modern day superhero saving us from the Bill Gates and the George Soros's of our time. But dude, obviously he didn't, drop $44 billion on Twitter just to be a good guy. No way. No, 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 no. He wants to be in the artificial intelligence race too. And all of the data that Twitter has all on, on everybody all across the internet is incredibly valuable if you're trying to develop Absolutely. artificial intelligence, yeah. right? Yeah, and make no mistake, he was part of the original open AI company that made ChatGPT. So I can imagine he was pretty salty when that project turned into more of a financial project that then got bought by Microsoft. So I can imagine, I can imagine he's a, he was a little bit salty that one of his AI babies ended up being something and he wasn't part of it. Well, and the other major leaders in artificial intelligence are massive tech companies, Google and uh, NVIDIA and, yeah. you know, these other household and names. And, and SpaceX, to be fair. Like, yeah. these other two companies are probably some of the best AI companies on Earth. I wonder how, so, uh, there's been a lot of uh, turmoil in, in relations with China and the Western world. Mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom just went over to Beijing to meet with Xi Jinping. I'm, I, I guess just to kind of cheerlead for the CCP and kind of virtue signal to yeah, Emperor and, Xi, like, hey, and, hey, I'm the guy. I, you know, because it's been my opinion since Joe Biden was elected that he's a foreign puppet or, or at the very least a globalist puppet just like Trudeau is in Canada and what Gavin Newsom 
wants to be. So I think it's known in the inner political circles what's going on with foreign influence and electioneering. And so Gavin Newsom went over to China to say, hey, you know, pay his, pay his respects and, and pledge fealty and say, oh, Emperor Xi, if you would only just give me lots of money, I promise that give me lots of money and help elect me president of the United States. And I promise that I will do anything that you ask, which I think is what, not necessarily what Joe Biden did, but it is what Hillary Clinton did. Unfortunately, I have a really hard time reconciling the Donald Trump election with the fraudulent elections that everybody claims have been occurring in the United States forever. It's like, oh, the 2022 election was rigged and it was a fraud and the 2020 election was a rigged fraud and, and oh, but, but, but 2016 was good. 2016 was good, but 2012, no, 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 that was a rigged fraud and, and, and 2008 before that, they were all rigged frauds except for the one election where the guy that I like got elected. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's my problem with it as well. It's like if both sides are saying that it's rigged, then it's like, well, it can't be rigged because how can both sides rig it at the same time? Well, I think, I mean, I, I share a similar opinion, but my, uh, <laughs> my conclusion is that they're actually all rigged and it's just the other, oh shit, knocked my microphone over. <laughs> we'll leave that oh, in. no way. <laughs> <laughs> my conclusion is that they're all, all the elections are rigged and it's just the other side calls it out when they're the side that loses. Because I feel like I feel the same way about American politics that I feel about professional sports, which is there's way too much money involved for any of the parties involved to let the outcomes just go to chance. What, we're going to let the most talented team win? No, 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 no. I mean, that's why for the longest time, the NBA championships, for example, was the team from Los Angeles and the team from New York, or at least the, the new England area. Sorry. I didn't mean to bring that up. Is it too soon? New England? <laughs> no, <laughs> I was actually looking up these, uh, uh, because it, it, it occurred to me, I, I don't remember how it came up in, in my mind, but it occurred to me that, that France gave, the United States, the Statue of Liberty. Almost yes. as if to, to kind of burn the UK because of how awful the relationship between France and Britain has been for, like, for how long? Why, why don't you guys like the French? Um... Well, the fucking French invaded us, mate. They, they they decided they wanted to come over and and uh, and take a piece out of the pie, and so they did. And then we were like, nah. So we fought back, and then we um, we marched way, way, way into France as well. 
uh, at some point. And uh, we just don't like each other very much. You know, we are both big empires. You've got the British Empire, the French Empire right, ne right next to each other, you know. And uh, at that time, you know, lots of kings and queens and stuff wanting to, um, you know, make their mark on history. And, you know, still today, it's it's the same. It's the same. You know, we're really close to each other. And when, whenever you've got a border, I, I feel there's always some friction that's going to happen just like you guys have a bit of friction with mexico sometimes and i don't know if you guys have much friction with canada but i assume some things go on right because you're just close by well i think and with france it's, it's no different i think the american opinion on canada has has always been friendly and and sort of uh brotherly in that like canada is like the little brother and and America's like, oh yeah, come here, Canada. Throw throw the arm around the shoulder, and like we'll we'll show you how it's done. And now it's like Canada is a vassal state of China. But I think, <laughs> yeah, and you know that's so weird because you know Canada is a Commonwealth state of us. Obviously, they're independent, but they are part of the Commonwealth, the British Empire. And the fact that Canada has maintained a better relationship you know, from, from that situation, uh, is honestly quite strange to me. And now obviously they're, they're way off on the deep end. They're doing their own thing and nobody knows what's going to happen with Canada because they have so many systemic issues. Uh, so you're totally right. And I don't really know what's going on between them and China. There's a lot of Chinese people with their own property in Canada as well. So it's like, uh, it's a mess. Well, a lot of Canadian conservatives are alarmed at the level of influence that China has in their country. Yeah. And I just can't, I can't help but wonder how they're finding out because I mean, this is another thing that, that makes me skeptical with things like Chinese influence. I mean, really anything related to China, they have such a lockdown on all of the information that goes in and out of their country. Yeah, how do yeah, you know really what is state sponsored and what is actual legitimate journalism? And the same thing with what's going on in Canada. Like, how, how, is, how is this information making its way to us? Because we have, I mean, are, are we to believe that China is only, only interfering in Canadian elections and not interfering in, in American elections? I mean, this, this just came to be. I mean, and then you look at a person like Justin Trudeau who against all odds, it seems, continues to be reelected over and over again. And then you see a guy... Not for long. Well, no, hopefully. Long. I hope that's true. Um, no, I'm, people had enough. I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous about the, uh, the, the sentiment of the people as opposed to the outcome of elections. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, I know, you know, my family... Um, They've put up with Trudeau's government for a while, and you know, to be fair, when when he the first few years of his of his uh, term were really good, uh, exemplary. Um, it's only recently they've really gone, you know, way off on the super far left. You know, since since that sort of twenty sixteen twenty seventeen era, the last sort of five years five, six years have just been really, really off the deep end where Trudeau has just taken this country and just like steered it off a cliff almost. Um, but previous to that, and, and even still through this time, you know, people give him the benefit of the doubt. And, and now it's to a point where he's gone too far. 
And I know lots of regular people, people that aren't politically connect, connected or people that don't really give a shit about politics because a lot of people in Canada don't give a shit about politics because they live so far away from everything that politics doesn't really touch you like it would touch me in the UK or touch you in the US. You know, politics for us is, is a thing that touches our very lives. But over in Do Canada, you... when you live in the middle of nowhere, it doesn't really matter. But at this point... The people have had enough. And you raise a good point, though, because uh, to some degree, does that even matter? Because if there is uh, some uh, interference, then the public opinion wouldn't really matter, would it? Yeah, and that, that's what concerns me. Because I, I try to reconcile what's happened in all of the elections. And it seems like, as you said, since 2016, there was suddenly this moment, this switch was flipped where the ruling elites, politicians, and billionaires realized these people, meaning us, are not going to make the decisions that we need them to make. It doesn't matter how many yeah. media outlets we own, it doesn't matter how many yarns we spin in popular culture. These stupid peasants are still going to elect the people that are bad for we, the globalist fascist Nazis that are rising again. I mean, look, look at who's, who's at the helm now of, of the largest conflict we've seen since World War II. I mean, the, the largest looming conflict we've seen. It's another group of governments that think they want to exterminate the Jews. And a long time ago, when I was first beginning to podcast, I said there were protections put in place in post-World War II Germany that would prevent another Hitler-type figure from rising to power. But those protections don't exist in American law. And for decades... Or in the Middle East. For decades and decades, the United States has been the military for the world. And it's so interesting that now this alliance between the United States and Israel is cooled. At, at the very least, there's tens of thousands of people protesting in support of terrorism. And I just can't think that it's a coincidence when Joe Biden has left the southern border open for his entire presidency, and the number is now 10 million, I believe, people that have wow. come come into the country through the southern border, either legally or illegally. And it's, it's so strange and concerning that this same, this, the same sort of immigration crisis is happening in the UK, the UK as well. I was just watching this morning for about 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah. The new, so I guess we need to go to the beginning, at least the beginning of this current conflict in, in the House of Commons uh. and, and 
UK politics. Uh, Dude, I feel like every time we talk about UK politics, it's always some cabinet reshuffle or someone resigning. I mean, this is outrageous. Have you ever heard of a Western nation have this much turnover in their top brass of politicians? Well, I mean, I think if if politics worked in in the states the way it does in the UK, we would be seeing the same thing because I am I am right. not I am not convinced that this is just a business as usual sort of of operation. You know better than I do. But we had, I, yeah, mean, I mean, we just had the Speaker of, of the House removed in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before no, that, true. it was, oh, me too this and me too that. Somebody pinched an ass cheek and now they need to be removed. I mean, nobody's being removed because, in my opinion, it seems much more difficult to remove an American politician than a UK politician. But that's why alarm bells are ringing. Like, Dude, why are so many people going down in in UK politics? I mean, Suella Braverman just got fired. So, yeah, so she just who got is fired and- who is she, and why is she gone? So, Suella Braverman was the foreign secretary. So she is probably, as hierarchy goes, next to the prime minister, probably number two. So, you what know, was that's so than- she's like the VP. The vice president. She would she would be like the VP, and there is a vice, uh, there is a deputy prime minister, but they do not hold the same amount of power as the foreign secretary does. The foreign secretary controls all foreign policy and does most of the interactions between foreign nations. Uh, it is a massive, massive role, and that basically covers stuff like immigration and uh policies around like tr- you know some trade policies and, and other policies that that just cover how the UK's interests are represented abroad and she is a figure that uh some would say would be very far right um she was part of the ERG the European uh research group which backed Brexit um, and she is now sort of this figurehead of the right side of what is now a very fractioned uh, conservative party. So just to bring everybody, conservative party, yeah, just to bring everybody up to speed. Swella Braverman, Braverman was conservative. Peter Bone was conservative. Boris Johnson was conservative. Dominic Robb was conservative. These are yeah. all people that are have been removed from British politics in in the last four months or, or uh, six, well, I mean, six there's, months there's, maybe. There's more than that. So the difference is this is just the government. So Peter Bone was removed as uh, well. It wasn't removed technically. They were given a petition, and then the petition then goes to a by election. Now I don't. I don't want to say. You know. I, I don't want to say that all of these people didn't deserve it. I, I don't. I. I. I know. I realize. I'm painting the picture that all of these people were unjustly removed from their positions. But when yeah. it's conservative, 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 on and on and on, and it's happening in such a short time. It, at least it seems, from my American perspective. That it's yeah, it's a it's a super short time. I mean, to put it in perspective, in the last 
five years, we have gone through 16 housing ministers. 16. Crazy. In five years. It's crazy. And this isn't anything to do with like, I would love it if there was some kind of like hidden agenda or if there was something going on. But this isn't this isn't like people being removed from the Houses of Commons, right, where there's someone that's taking elected officials and removing them. OK, I'm just talking about this is the cabinet. These are the people that form the government that look after government departments, not the Houses of Commons. You know, Swella Braverman has been removed or fired as a foreign secretary, but she is still a member of parliament that sits you know, on the back bench benches uh, with the Conservative Party. So she's still part of, uh, she, you know, she's still an elected official that is allowed to be in the Houses of Commons. And I don't... She just doesn't hold a formal role. I don't know what the, uh, what, what the laws are regarding the vice president in America. I don't know if Biden could just say, hey, Kamala Harris, you're fired. I don't, you're not my vice president anymore but i know for someone like the secretary of state which it sounds like uh suella braverman is at least holds some of the responsibilities of secretary of state yeah yeah that is a cabinet official that joe biden could fire joe biden could fire his cabinet officials and this is what rishi sunak has done with suella braverman and why well, this one is a lot easier to understand than the other reshuffles that he's done. Uh, this is probably the fourth or fifth time he has shuffled his cabinet. And when you shuffle a cabinet, they call it cabinet reshuffling. It's basically when you take the people in the cabinet room and you shuffle them around. You move them to different spots. You fire them. You hire new people. And then they do a meeting as they do, a, you know, usual like a, either daily or, or weekly meeting in the cabinet room in number 10. So that's what when we talk about the cabinet, that's what I mean. And it's very easy to understand why Rishi had no other option but to get rid of Suella Braverman. And however you feel about the politics of Suella Braverman, the way she acted, there was no choice. She was particularly outspoken on a few issues. Um, She undermined Rishi Sunak on a few issues, especially around um, immigration and the Met Police, and also on her description of the Palestinian marches, which is, you know, whatever she she is. Is is that the tweets? I I have this series of three tweets Ah. from her her Twitter page. Here's... Here's the thing. She was tweeting out. Now, the problem wasn't the, co- the content of the tweets themselves. The issue around it was that she did not clear this by the government at all. She decided to just go off on her own and post something at, in her official capacity, not as a personal capacity, in her official capacity as the foreign secretary. She posted this. This is from her... Under- from from at Suella Braverman, MP. Right. And uh, yes. let well let's let's read the tweets. Sure. Yeah. On November twelfth, our brave police officers deserve the thanks of every decent citizen for their professionalism in the face of violence and aggression from protesters and counter protesters in London yesterday. 
that multiple officers were injured doing their duty is an outrage. Tweet number two. The sick, inflammatory, and in some cases clearly criminal chants, placards, and paraphernalia openly on display at the march mark a new low. Anti-Semitism and other forms of racism together with the valorizing of terrorism on such a scale is deeply troubling. And finally, this can't go on. Week by week, the streets of London are being polluted by hate, violence, and anti-Semitism. Members of the public are being mobbed and intimidated. Jewish people in particular feel threatened. Further action is necessary. So this is something that American politicians post all the time. Why is it bad for Suella Braverman to be doing this? So it's not necessarily the content of what she's saying. And she made a column in a magazine or something as well in the same vein. It's more that uh, she was post. She posted this stuff without it going through the government because, of course, she is a cabinet. She, you know, she's foreign secretary. Everything has to be vetted so that it toes the party line and this, that, and the other. It just, you know, and she didn't do that. And so it was becoming more clear as the days went on that Suella Braverman was basically acting like a rogue, um, which is great for Suella Braverman. <laughs> because she gets to look like someone that really, you know, is passionate and cares about what she what she's into, and it rallies up support for her. And it looks terrible for Rishi because for Rishi, Rishi's supposed to be numero uno. He's supposed to be the guy. Yeah, and he's got his foreign secretary running around doing her own thing, so he couldn't have that. And to be honest, if we really think about it, Rishi Sunak doesn't share anything in common with Suella Braverman. The only reason he got her in was because he needed the votes from the people that backed her. You know, the more right-wingers, the ERG, you know, group. And so for him, it was an easy, it was an easy let go, really. But he had to do it. And I think the biggest, the bigger story is, first of all, in her resignation letter, uh, which got released, I think, either today or yesterday. Which I also have. Maybe look. Uh, we should. Uh, it's, yes. Yeah, it's, it's dated November 14th. Should we, yeah, read, think, should we read it? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. I'll, I'll read it and, and you rebut when you hear some bullshit. Okay, cool. Dear Prime Minister, this is from the right. This is to the right honorable Rishi Sunak. Prime Minister. From, <laughs> There's some bullshit right there. From the right honorable Suella Braverman. <laughs> some more bullshit. <laughs> Thank you for your phone call yesterday morning in which you asked me to leave government. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <laughs> While disappointing, this is for the best. It has been my privilege to serve as Home Secretary and deliver on what the British people have sent us to Westminster to do. I want to thank all of those civil servants, police, border force officers, and security professionals with whom I have worked and whose dedication to public safety is exemplary. I am proud of what we achieved together, delivering on our manifesto pledge to recruit 20,000 new police officers and enacting new laws such as the Public Order Act 2023 and the National Security Act 2023. I also led a program of reform on antisocial behavior, police dismissals, and standards reasonable lines of inquiry, grooming gangs, knife crime, 
non-crime hate incidents, and rape and serious sexual offenses. And I am proud of the strategic changes that I was delivering to prevent, contest, serious organized crime and fraud. I am sure that this work will continue with the new ministerial team. It's, it's so interesting to read this and be like, oh, we're, we're all facing the same sorts of cultural issues. Although, I just need to point out, cynically, the, the, gu- the gun laws are such <clears throat> in the UK that they don't have to take meaningful action to reduce gun, gun crime. But instead, they've just replaced their gun crime with knife crime. What yeah, sort of legislation is being proposed to reduce knife crime? Are they banning knives? Are they banning and restricting the sale of knives? Um, I think it's already illegal to carry a knife um, above a certain size in public. Wow. And I believe that might be the same for America as well. In many states, you're not allowed to carry a knife of certain, uh, certain size. So does in that, Europe as well. Does that concern you that, that your rights to defend yourself are being, you know, slowly whittled away? Not necessarily. I believe that law has been, has been there for a long, long time and there's no upcoming legislation to change that because I, most, most of the people that are committing the knife crime already break that law anyways. And so the, the, the symptom is really on the organized crime aspect of it. The fact that our police, uh, uh, it's not like they don't have the powers to do what they need to do. There's just not enough of them. And I just want to rebut what Suella said on the 20,000 new police officers. Uh, they've, <laughs> the problem with, with that message that they constantly put out is that prior to that, they had sacked 20,000 police officers. Oh, not, so, why did they do that? To save money. <laughs> so they rehired a bunch of them and trained a few more and claimed it as some sort of victory. It's, this is the I mean, same shit that, so that the, the Biden administration uh, claims yeah, yeah. when they're talking about how they created all these new jobs and how the economy is doing so great. You can't... You, destroy working class America with your lockdowns to slow the spread and then remove the lockdowns and say, Oh, look at all of these new jobs that we've created. You can't, you can't point to your GDP growth and say, Oh, look, we we've got had 4.9% GDP growth when, when inflation is responsible for 4.7% of that growth. It's just, I mean, it's, it's politics it's as usual. True. I mean, is that the? Re- I, I believe the, re- the rest of the note is more critical of Rishi Sunak, is, is it not? It's, oh yeah, I mean, I I completely agree, especially because of the liberal like defund the police effort. But it's like saying, yeah, oh, yeah. this last administration they dug this hole, but we're going to be the administration that fills it in. It's like, oh well, great, you, you filled the hole in that shouldn't have been there to begin with, and now you're patting yourself on the back. Because you've brought us back to zero. Now, oh, now we've got roads with no potholes in. Which, 
reminds me of, of another particular beef that I have with just sort of government operations in general. The use of asphalt. Is that what they call it in the uke? Uh, what do we call it? Tarmac? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds uh, right. It's, uh, it, it, uh, it was only about, what, 10% as durable as concrete? But what does it create? Oh, it creates lots of jobs. It creates lots of things for the government to spend your tax dollars on because it, yeah, it yeah, degrades. Yeah. And, and, and what's worse, you, if you spill any uh, like gas or oil or, or any kind of petrochemicals oh, yeah. on it, it, it starts to deteriorate. So we've got cars the only, dripping the only gas. Thing about, and, the only thing about um, asphalt is that it's recyclable. That's the only thing about it. You can actually, and they, I've, seen it, I've seen it done in Canada, they peel up the road and they put it in the back and they clean it and add, if they need to add any more tar to it, they do. And then they just re relay it again. So once you lay it, you don't need to necessarily buy a new road to redo it. And the only problem with concrete, it's not so bad in bigger countries like yours, where you have, you can have uh, roads that are further away from residential areas. And the same goes for Canada as well. They trialed concrete. Uh, there's a big concrete section of the M25, and I've driven on it plenty enough to tell you, oh my God, it is like the worst bit of road. And, I, and I've driven on other concrete roads, and they're fine. But one of the problems is, is because we, we can't move our motorways away from residential areas far enough, the amount of noise that they generate compared to asphalt roads is absolutely crazy. Like it's like, it's like three or four times louder um, and so you can, like when they trialed it and people started driving on it, like the local residents were like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's so loud. And so that basically killed concrete roads for us in the UK. The well, problem we have in the UK is that we don't maintain any of our roads, regardless of what they're made of. They could be made of fucking dirt, gravel, plastic, anything. Uh, it doesn't matter what it's made of. We don't look after them. So they end up costing us more anyways. Well, and on top of that, there's like, where, where, are the, where are the investments for the new technology? It's like, oh, we, well, hey, we've got this fine product made from the ingredients sold by all of our big donors. So we're just going to keep doing this. We don't want to find a better way. Let's just keep doing the same thing over and over again because. It's the mediocrity of, uh, or it's, <laughs> it's the stability of mediocrity. We know we're going to have to replace those roads every two years so we can budget for yeah. it. And then we can add that to our yearly budget and we can ask for more money next year. It's like what Joe Biden is doing with his, uh, so he's, he's finally broken down and agreed to include some money for border security, but guess what all that money's really going to? Oh, well, it's going to expedite the process of releasing these immigrants and asylees into our country, which is not anything that the conservative half of the country wants to see 
coming out of DHS. We want people are calling to close the border, stop the immigration, remain in Mexico while we process your paperwork. The left doesn't want any of this. It doesn't want it in the United States, and it doesn't sound like they want it in the UK. So what was no. Suella Braverman doing for immigration that made Rishi Sunak want to canner? Well, actually, you know what? They were both on the same page um, when it terms in terms of immigration. And as I say, like the only reason Rishi Sunak got rid of her was because she was being so <laughs> because because of this thing around Palestine, really. The well, she was making about Palestine, which which were not on the level with what the government was saying. But everything that she was doing in in terms of the campaign, they have a campaign for stop the boats. There are small boats coming across the channel from France, and they have a thing called stop the boats, as well as the Rwanda policy, which is where illegal immigrants come here to the UK or asylum seekers. And instead of them staying here, we send them to Rwanda instead. <laughs> now, this today, this today has just been shot down in the Supreme Court in the UK. The Supreme Court has ruled that it is not legal to do this, but the government are going to do it anyway because they say they have found like a workaround or a loophole or something. So even though all the courts are saying that they can't do this, they're going to try and do it anyways, which... And this I is don't think, this is another I mean just yeah. it, it's just another disturbing parallel with what's happening in the United States. Government officials are saying the same things about Supreme Court rulings. Oddly enough, it's on the opposite side. Uh, allegedly. Yeah. You have a conservative, you know, right-leaning government that is looking at these Supreme Court rulings saying, ah, we're going to work around it. We're going to figure out how to do it differently. While in the United States, even as it pertains to border security with uh, border walls in, or, or barriers, I guess, is a better legal term to use in, in Texas and in Arizona, are being fought by the federal government. Then... The Supreme Court rules, uh, no, it is okay for Texas to create its own barrier to protect its state. The federal government and the Department of Homeland Security just say, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. We're going to knock those fences down. We're going to cut that concertina wire. Nevertheless, because... Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really strange. I mean, it's particularly scary here in the UK because, like... If they're allowed to get away with this, you know, it could be very, this could be very, uh, not that's, you know, unserious right now for us. What but are the numbers? Down the line. Like, what are, you, what are you seeing in terms of new immigration over the last, well, how about just since Rishi Sunak I think took less, over? I think immigration has been less this year. Um, but over the last, I think two, I think last year was net migration was 500,000. Yeesh. And the, which was a million in and, you know, half a million out. So, uh, you know, net migration was, was 500,000. And the year before that, I believe, was about 450, 500,000 as well. So we're getting about half a million people a year coming in. So um, on, the, and on the aggregated summarizer in my browser, yeah. it shows June 
2022, you had an estimated 1.1 million long-term immigrants. But the EU is getting a lot more compared. They're, yeah. And that, that was last year, as you said. More, yeah. That was last year, as yeah, you said. And, and this year has been a lot less, um, primarily because um, situations have changed in Eastern Europe. And you're right uh, on. It's ended. And you're in your uh, half a million figure year, year over year. That's about where you're I at. Fi- yeah. I figured that was about that was about right, and I know that um, asylum seekers were of that time was about ten percent of that number, you know, around the fifty thousand. So you got four hundred fifty thousand people net in through the legal channel, and about fifty thousand that came in as asylum seekers either through small boats or hidden in a truck or however they want to come through. And this is where they're focusing most of their energy is on this fifty thousand, which I constantly think is kind of like a stupid idea that we're going to spend lots of taxpayer money to basically eradicate 10% of people coming across the border. Whereas we, if we just made it easier to go through the normal channel, then you'd at least have some way to process these people rather than spending all this money fucking going around the beach and just waiting for them to appear or waiting for the call and then the fucking Coast Guard has to go out and get them. That sounds so much more expensive. And this, it, what are you going to do? Put fucking tanks on the beach and like shoot them or something when they're coming out. Like you just, what's easier? Just making them easier to come through the normal channel and then dealing with them there. Well, is there any discussion? Fucking, is, I don't know. Is there, so when Trump was president, he put the screws to Mexico and said, hey, you better stop these people coming through or we're going to talk about tariffs. We're going to talk about our military coming into Mexico to deal with the cartels. Is there no discussion with those mainland governments about stopping the flow of people crossing the channel illegally? Yeah, there is. Of course, our relationship with France is 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 pretty rubbish at this time did we talk uh, about that since brexit well i they, think we did yeah a couple of couple of episodes ago maybe they we, we gave spoke about that. <laughs> they they gave the united states the statue of liberty what did they give you guys <laughs> they gave a us a shitload of, of fucking asylum seekers <laughs> <laughs> that's what they gave us yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know I, oh. I don't know whether i prefer a statue or not but that is um, good pod a statue of all the immigrant how about a permanent statue in the channel <laughs> of a small boat coming across that would be perfect i can picture it now it's bronze it'd be brilliant yeah i mean that's essentially where where we're at now where you know we're a country that um has very low productivity uh our gdp growth which they hailed, by the way, as a massive victory, was 0.2%. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not a victory to me. And they were just celebrating that it wasn't a recession. Like, when you're celebrating that it's not a recession, I think there's a problem. Okay, yeah. I think there's a problem. <laughs> well, all those guys on the other side, they say it was a recession, but they're lying. That's fake news. It's not really, it's not really a recession. Listen to these. State-sponsored journalists tell you it's not a recession. Ha ha, we're right, you're wrong. No recession. Keep spending. Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter that the construction industry is like cratered by 30%. Uh, 
or the commercial uh, commercial real estate has dropped twenty percent. I just saw a news that, story uh, this morning. Thing is, yeah, that that somebody was buying a massive commercial building in Chicago, paying like seventy dollars a square foot or something like that. Just crazy. Holy shit! Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. I'm I have probably mentioned it many times on the show, but I I was really surprised. When I mean, it actually kind of kicked off with with Elon Musk buying Twitter and saying, OK, everybody has to come back to work now. Because this was when everyone had been working from home because of the pandemic. And, and I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's the end of commercial office space. What company wants to continue to pay to rent these office spaces when everybody can just work from home from their own? I mean, wouldn't it be? I mean, you could furnish so much equipment to your employees to use from their homes that wouldn't even come close to what you have to shell out for the building itself, the office space, you know, the the lease on the office space, plus everything else that comes with maintaining a massive commercial property. Why do you, I mean, was it, was it strictly, I mean, I know we're kind of all over the place and I also kind of love it. I do want to read more of Suella Braverman's, sorry, Braverman. Uh, I'm sure she's really offended. Uh, Letter, but. (laughs) That's, yeah, letter. Do you think it was strictly about productivity in, in bringing people back to work in the office post? I mean, because you, like all your work is remote. Like, why couldn't it work? For every tech company, um, it, honestly, it depends on on the management. It depends on the kind of people that you have and the team that you have. Um, so it's 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 a bit subjective, you know. You could imagine the older companies, you know, like everyone to be in the office and they all want to wear a shirt. I know the way Elon Musk works, um, and the kind of leadership that he has requires everyone to be in the room. You know, they kind of do these sprints where they come in the room and they're like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to do it now. And everyone's going to be here and everyone's going to be on the level. And so he just wants everyone to be there and working and working hard. And and that's the leadership um, and management style that he has. And if you don't like it, he kind of just says, well, go, go away. And if you don't want to work this way, then you can go find somewhere else. And I think that's why he finds so many talented people to work with him and people that are willing to, you know, really put in a huge amount of hours but well he moved into twitter yeah he he moved in he he you remember the video where he was carrying a sink oh yeah in in through the doors at twitter and then he had captioned it let that sink in it was just but if you think about it like if you think about it like (laughs) you buy a company and um you need to turn it around and you've got like most of your employees working all over the world in random places at home They've all got different schedules. Everyone's, you know, video teams calling. It sounds like a nightmare. You know, it's okay for me and my small team, but they have like thousands of employees. So it's like, it's, it's, you know, and they've already got and paid for the office space. It's not like a new company. Yeah, it's probably on like a 25-year lease or something like that too, or even more. Yeah, right, 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 right. So they've already paid for it. So they may as well, because for their workers to work from home, 
you know, they got to give them routers, they got to give them, you know, access control, they got to have engineers to look after that, they got security to worry about, they got the laptops that they have to buy for all the employees to send home. So if you're already in a position where you can be at an office, it makes more financial sense to do that. Unless, unless you want to use remote or hybrid working as a selling tool to attract new talent to your business. That's something that's quite common now is, oh, we're a remote working, we're hybrid, and you can come work to us, and it's a really cool environment. That's quite common. Um, but you can imagine in Twitter's uh, shoes, they've already got the building, they've got all the kit. Elon wants everyone in the room to be on it 100%. He wants to, yeah, and I remember the first couple of weeks he was in there refactoring all the code and basically just firing anyone that wrote bad code. Anyone that had even half shitty code, gone. Until right now, what they're left with at Twitter is like basically the best of the best. And they're running that thing on a like really, really, really uh, tight team. And it's, it's cool. It's cool. It's good to see. Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's, really it's, it's there. I mean, there's an interesting situation that is kind of being presented to the corporate world in the West. And that's that none of these little shits that just graduated college actually want to work. They want to sit around and collect their COVID checks, which I don't really believe. Um, no, I, I, I don't believe I, I I don't believe that either. I think um, I think honestly, if I had to say what's going on is is a, a lot of people, especially sort of our generation. So, you know, you got the twenties to thirty fives, and what's interesting is that there's a, there's a graph, especially in the UK, where there are more single men moving back in with their parents between the ages of 20 and 35 than ever before um and that is lady killers that is cool yeah that's that's quite an interesting metric really because if you think about it those years you're 20 to 35 that those should be your most active years in terms of like working uh going places moving out etc and that is reversing and i can imagine there's 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 two major reasons for that. One is the financial outlook of the world right now, especially in the Western world, is is pretty bleak because wages haven't kept up with, you know, living standards in terms of buying a house, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if you're just starting to get on the ladder and trying to do something, then it's it's more difficult. You have to stay with your parents until you're, you know, later in life. Uh, number two is a lot of people's parents are quite rich, um, and so they are able to live at home and live off their parents and not do anything. And they find that that is acceptable to them. Uh, and there's probably a third reason in there as well, which is that a lot of people, I, a lot, I know a lot of people, these, these people personally, I went to school with them, etc. They go to university, they study something. What they have studied is completely useless to them. They come <laughs> out of university with all of the debt uh, accrued in that and then they go and get a job that they could have done without the university degree or they have a very very difficult time finding a job from their degree and maybe they have to then go back to uni or do an apprenticeship or do an internship in a completely different field um, that is quite a common occurrence there's very few people i would say actually i know the number off the top of my head it's 30 percent 
of people that go to university actually end up going into the field that they went to study for. That's 30%, which means that 70% of people that go to university in the UK do not end up doing the career that they studied for. Now, that to me is a massive, massive problem because, first of all, that's tax-funded, okay? You know, the, the debt in the UK is tax-funded, and yes, you start paying it back, but the, the data also tells us that 30% of those people will never pay um, anything back. So we have to take it on the chin, right? So that means that if 30% of people going into their career and we've got 30% of people that never pay for their degree and you've got another sort of 30-odd, 40% of people that go on to do something completely different, then we're not really breaking even. We're actually, it's actually costing the country money to put people through uni because we're not skilling these people up in the areas that they should be skilling up in. Well, We're paying essentially 100% and only getting 30% for our money for it. And, and your, your numbers are right on, by the way, because in the same, it's the same statistic in the United States. Only 30% of the jobs actually require a college degree. Right, right. So that means 70% of college degree earners are going to have to take a job not related to their degree at an entry-level salary. And who, who can afford anything on an entry-level salary? Man, I feel like I've taken a $10 an hour pay cut because of how expensive everything is. And it all, it all translates. If you own a bunch of rental properties, you have to raise your prices because everything associated with caring for that rental property has gone up at least 5% or more. So now you're asking these kids that have $200,000 in college debt to come out of college, take an entry-level job, and what, rent an apartment in New York? Yeah, it's outrageous. It's, uh, I, you know, there's more people renting in the UK now than ever before in history. Sometimes um, I wish I still rented. Owning property is not the uh, most glamorous or even desirable decision. I mean, the, the best part about owning property is that you're contributing to an asset. Yeah, yeah. But every time something breaks you got to fix it yourself or you have to call yeah. somebody. And if you live in kind of the resort sort of area that I live in, everybody like the, the big city is 70 miles from where I live. So if you want a reputable handyman, for example, you've got to pay him to travel up from, or you can roll the dice on a local worker and hope that he shows up to finish the job. It's, it, it's just one of those things. Like if you live out of town, I mean, it's, it's one of the great things about living in the city. As long as you can handle all of the negatives that come with, with living in a city. I mean, you're, you're kind of rural, just like I am. Do you enjoy the city? I mean, you've, you've been on travels. Would you rather oh, yeah, be I mean, uh... on a, on a hilltop? Uh, you know, alone, or do you like being in the thick of it? 
I don't like. I'm not really a city person. Um, I don't like London. Uh, it's just too busy for me, man. Too busy. You know, I where I live right now is really quiet, and it's too quiet for me. There's like nothing going on, and I, you know, there's not even like a shop or a. Uh, there's only a post office. Like that's just way too quiet for me. Um, I want to be able to like. Would it be nice to just like a small town? Then I can just, you know, walk out and do my thing, get a coffee, come back. London's too big for me. Where I live right now is way, 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 way too small. But if I lived in like, a, say, like a small city like Milton Keynes or something, then then that's that's probably like somewhere in the middle. Uh, but when I, you know, eventually when I go to live in Canada, I don't really give a shit about all that, you know, because I'll be just doing my thing. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I do wish I lived a little bit closer to the nearest city. But I don't. I feel like I have what you are looking for. I have a little just a, a little main street. About eight blocks. With restaurants and coffee shops and little like specialty stores that are unfortunately fading from existence. There's a lot of commercial real estate for sale in in this area also i just can't i can't figure out the the labor shortage argument this is one of the the arguments from the left about uh immigration legal immigration and and you know issuing work visas etc to to foreign workers to to fill up these jobs like on on one hand you'll have the you know the liberal left saying what i say a lot of the time which is that these big corporations want to exploit immigrant labor and then on the other hand they say well we we need these workers we have a labor shortage we can't get these we can't get these people to uh show up for work they don't want to work which kind of reinforces the remote working argument. Okay, if you don't want to pay for your commercial real estate and you can't find any workers, wouldn't it be better to open up your workforce to the, you know, or or spots on your workforce to the entire world? I mean, people could remote work, as you said, from any location. You yeah, can... absolutely. Um, it's you know, and it goes back to what we were saying about uh, you know university and stuff like that, right? So, you know, there's there's definitely a labor shortage. You know, first of all, you've got an aging population where you've got a lot of really um, experienced people leaving the workforce to become retired as they as they should do. Cheers to them. And we're not. Re- yeah, cheers to them, right? But we're not replacing them in sufficient quantities because our population is shrinking. So the amount of people we have of working age is shrinking. And of those people, as we see, only 30% of them are actually, you know, qualifying and going into the career that they wanted. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's you know, it's a double squeeze on on the workforce where highly skilled people, highly experienced people are leaving and they're not being replaced in sufficient quantities where you're you're, you know, you're leaving. You, you, who is going to do that work? Like, who is going to do it? Well, and how much of I look, that? I look, yeah. How much of that do you think has to do with the corporate leadership going? 
oh, great. We're all of these people are dropping, dropping off payroll. We will uh, let them drop off of payroll. We will not replace them. And then we'll tell the current workforce, oh, sorry, can't get anybody to come in and work. Yeah, we're, we're, saving, uh, we're saving 80 grand a year on all of these people that are retiring. We just can't replace them with anybody. Oh, we better uh, open up those borders to more agricultural immigrants to come and pick up these. I mean, it just at, at a certain point, it, it seems like a farce. I, 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 I think there is truth to it, but I also think like everything else, the CEOs and the politicians are going to look at the situation and say, hey, we can use this to our advantage. The corporate world is saying, we don't have any workers. So we'll tell them, hey, it's just fine. You go, don't, don't stop your campaign contributions. We're going to open up that southern border and we're going to bring lots of cheap labor in. While at the same yeah, time I mean, going, it's, hey, it's, uh... let's also register these people to vote so that when the election comes around, we can remind them who helped them get into the con- who helped them get into the country, mm. who gave them that disposable cell phone, who gave them the debit card with twelve hundred dollars on it, courtesy of the George Soros Foundation. And uh, here's this voter ID card or, or voter uh, registration card. I need to use my words carefully because voter ID is a, a very hot button issue. <laughs> Not oh, nearly yeah, as is. hot as it should be. But I want to return to this letter from Suella Braverman because, uh, God, I'll get it right one of these times, Suella Braverman, Uh, because it raised quite a fuss. And I just have to, I have to know what, what all the, the hubbub is about. So a couple of paragraphs in, she continues, as you know, this is again, her letter to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. After being fired. As you know, I accepted your offer to serve as Home Secretary in October 2022 on certain conditions. Despite you having been rejected by a majority of party members during the summer leadership contest and thus having no personal mandate to be Prime Minister, I agreed to support you because of the firm assurances you gave me on key policy priorities. So, indicating as you said, she was kind of throwing her support behind him in an effort to get him the votes that he needed to be prime minister. And then he fires her. The letter continues. These key policy priorities were, among other things, number one, reduce overall legal migration as set out in the 2019 manifesto through inter alia, reforming the international students Route and oh, my mic cut out. And increasing salary thresholds on work visas. Two, include specific notwithstanding clauses into new legislation to stop the boats, i.e., exclude the operation of the European Convention on Human Rights, Human Rights Act, and other international law that had thus far obstructed progress on this issue. So there was international law that was preventing the UK from stopping the small boats? Yeah, because we're part of the uh, European um, Court of uh, Human Rights, the EHCR, I think. Uh, yeah, so, so is that's, there... That's right, yeah. We're going to get off on another jag, but is, is there sentiment among the, the 
British population that you're allowing non-elected bureaucracies to affect immigration law? Um, I, I think that there's there's not a sentiment that um, people believe that the Europeans are giving us more immigrants. The conservatives would love to spin it that way, but the European Court of Human Rights is not part of the European Union. It's completely different. Um, so uh, we've signed up to be underneath that. And that covers people in Britain as well, not just you know immigrants. Which is an important distinction to make, because that means that if you are persecuted in the UK as a UK citizen, and you believe that your human rights have been violated, and you take it all the way up in the UK courts, and you still don't get the answer you want, you can appeal it to the European Court of Human Rights, and they have the power to overturn your own court's decision in your country. So I think it's a really powerful thing. I would not want to lose that, because let's say the UK does become more authoritarian and the courts become more authoritarian and the courts become, you know, more fascist or something or whatever. That means that I, at the end of the day, if I believe that I've been wronged, I can still appeal to the European Court of Human Rights, which will try their best to defend my interests. I do and think so, that's a good thing. I do. It that, is a good thing. But, but what, what raises alarm bells in my head is that something like that is creating law or, or whatever terminology you want to use that establishes immigration policy on a sovereign country. And, and this is, illustrates another alarming trend because there, have, there has been murmurings for several years now uh, Circa the COVID pandemic, it was suggested that we introduce things like digital passports and uh, health passports and and um, what were the vaccine passports. Mm -hmm. This was all introduced at the behest of these global organizations, the World Health Organization and the United Nations. And there's been talks of these pandemic treaties. This is just the term that this is just the popular terminology that they're using now because we've had this this covid pandemic and getting back to what we were talking about it, the the 2016 switch where the world realized that the people weren't going to go quietly. They decided we have to roll out these authoritarian measures to basically turn the Western worlds into China. And we're going to accomplish that with these crazy surveillance policies, crazy economic policies, a la central bank digital currencies, and vaccine passports. So you are tracked, surveilled, and and brutalized at every turn because you showed us in 2016 poor peasants that you could not be trusted with the responsibility to make your own decisions so now we're going to flood your countries with immigrants drive drive wages down to poverty levels to make you more dependent, not only on your government, but also on the corporations that work hand in glove with the government that provide you all of the goods and services 
that you need. I was talking with my brother-in-law. No, not my brother-in-law. Just a friend at a Halloween party. And I was explaining my position on anarchy to him. Not being that we have total worldwide chaos, but just that we don't have a figurehead government the way that we have now. And I explained it like, tell Amazon that they are responsible for maintaining the roads now, but also inform them that they no, they no longer have to pay federal taxes. What sort of a trade-off would that be in Amazon's eyes? That would be a win-win, wouldn't it? Like, hey, now I have, I have all of this I have all of this extra responsibility, but I now know have, gov- have no government regulations. I don't have to pay any federal income taxes. All I really have to do is maintain the infrastructure that allows my business to continue operating. Now, if I think about it, it might not actually be better than the deal that Amazon has worked out now, or, or maybe not Amazon. Let's talk about Pfizer. Pfizer has created a product that it has no responsibility for through in, in, in the United States, at least through American law. They can sell it to the government using taxpayer dollars. So the government doesn't actually have to care if the product that Pfizer is selling them is good or not. All they have to do is control the media. So these corporations are effectively extracting wealth from the countries via their governments, as well as extracting wealth from the consumers by selling their products. So really the only function of government for us in the Western world is to extract our wealth and funnel it to mega corporations. And this is a, a theory pioneered by Julian Assange. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, but I mean, that's why we need to really, as, as much as possible, try and decrease the amount of government we have and also decrease the reliance on large multinational corporations. Um, and and do that organically, you know. I'm not really a big fan of the whole breaking up companies because I, I feel like sometimes it doesn't work as well as people think it does, as well as um, as well as uh, you know specific targeted aid in in certain corporate environments. I don't believe works very well, uh, like trickle down economics or bond buybacks or stock buybacks. These these are things that don't necessarily end up uh, working in the intended way. Um, but what's what's quite interesting to me is um, government funded startup incubators. That is something that genuinely does work, um, and for one simple reason is 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 it allows the general person to overcome the barrier to entry to starting a business and trying to get their business off the ground. And that's always a good thing because. If more people are starting their own business and innovating on their own and doing their own thing, that in turn diversifies whatever industry that they're going into. Um, and that's always a good thing. You know, more competition, 
more people. And sure, maybe they get bought by a large corporation down the line. But, you know, you do that enough and you end up getting an Apple or you end up getting an Amazon or you end up getting a Coca-Cola or you get end up getting something, you know, that's quite large and then it moves and changes and stuff like that. So, well, that's almost you know, like I think, yeah, all that's almost all an entrepreneur can hope for anymore. Unfortunately, like Absol I, absolutely, I hate yeah, that I'm yeah. being so black pilled, but I I have been getting to much to my chagrin a lot of uh, Shark Tank videos in my in my YouTube feed, and all it is, from what I can tell, are a couple entrepreneurs putting together cringe business presentations where they try to get uh what's his name mark, mark cuban among yeah, other yeah. rich wealthy you know investors and billionaires to buy their company for a million or or two million or five million or what, whatever whatever they can get out of them and the last one that i just saw was the selling mark, mark cuban said hey we want to buy your company for a hundred thousand dollars like, dude, that's nothing. You yeah, can't even buy you can't even buy a house with a hundred thousand dollars. Like, and 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 what's and you know whatever. Like, I'm tired of being negative about it. These two ladies well, were thrilled that they were going to get a hundred thousand dollars for their company. But Mark Cuban looks at that and thinks, oh wow, I'll be able to make at least five hundred thousand off of this company. And so what it does, yeah, it, yeah. It, it creates this barrier to entry because if you don't agree to sell you're going to wind up in a situation that I've illustrated before on this podcast where Amazon or Walmart is going to steal your idea and sell it themselves. So you ought to just take the 2 million that they're willing to, to pay you to buy your company and move on and start another company. But that doesn't resolve the issue of these massive corporations pulling the strings to all of global operations. No, now, no, it, it, it doesn't. Um, and I feel like that's you know where the most, uh, I feel like that's where the push for globalism is really coming from. It's from these NGOs and these, you know, mega billionaire companies because how much easier is commerce if you dissolve all of the borders? How much easier is is wage equality or or a complete whack of lack of wage equality if you can bring in the lowest paid population to work in your factories? Like, oh, we can't send our factories over to China because we got to pay millions and billions in tariffs if we do that. So let's just oh, yeah, sure. let's just import all the Chinese through the wide open southern border. The the one thing that gives me hope is that this same thing is happening in all, many Western nations across North America and in Europe. Unless, of course, the motivation for this immigration goes beyond cheap labor and into something more insidious. But I don't know. I mean, I say it's elections here in the United States. It couldn't be elections in the UK. But the UK no, also I doesn't mean, uh, really manufacture no. very much. 
Uh, we manufacture a few things, but no, n- not really. I mean, if you, if you look at it, you know, globalization is a great thing for companies and capitalists in general for the exact reasons that you you mentioned. I'm kind of a fan. Make, I'm 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 not really against I'm, globalization. I'm actually a huge fan because, in general, globalization usually causes less war, longer uh, peacetime, better relations between countries better culture and ultimately you end up with really really uh good deals for people where a company might be able to leverage the lower paid workers of one country and then be able to sell that product for quite a lot more in a western nation and this is stuff that's happened not just recently you know (laughs) this has been happening for hundreds of years you know where they would make tea in india and sell it for a pretty penny in the uk you know, so this is this is just on a on an industrial scale now, um, but it seems to work really really well. You know, not just for large corporations, but you know, what about a website like Fiverr, where you can get someone to make you a logo, or get someone to edit your video, or get someone to write up a sales brief for you, and you can leverage the whole world in terms of uh, in terms of um, in terms of talent. That's something that wouldn't be possible without globalization, and we're actually seeing, or at least what I'm seeing is is in the Western world, things are becoming more protectionist. Um, things are becoming a lot more hostile towards globalization. Uh, companies are wanting to move away from China. Companies are wanting to, and governments are starting to incentivize companies to come back to the, to the US and back to the UK and back to Europe. And I think that while this will be good for two reasons, one, um, you know, reliability of, of supply chains. That's a thing that is always better about being protectionist because you're not relying on another country to do something, you know, because it could be things like earthquakes or political changes or stuff like that. And that's the risk with globalization. Or pandemics. <laughs> or pandemics. Why do but, you, you think, know, why, why do you think people want to move away from China? Okay, so the one of the reasons people want to move away from China, especially in the tech world, is because Number one, the stock market in China is completely and utterly a farce. Um, two, your money used to be worth something in China. And now, if you invest in China, it's incredibly risky because you could, you know, if you lose your money, you lose your investment, you're fucked. Okay. Whereas before, it was a lot more civil. There were a lot more processes involved. Now it's like, no, the CCP want to be involved in all tech companies. They want to see the intellectual property. They want to see what's going on. And for some companies, that is that is a, that is a complete no-no. As well as the political situation uh, is more difficult at the moment, um, as well as other systemic issues, which are more business-related. For example, the infrastructure in China is not built very well. Uh, the electrical grid, for example, cannot be relied on that much in certain areas. And so if you have a manufacturing plant, there is a risk that it goes down. And if it goes down, you lose money per minute, or, you know, thousands, millions uh, a day. And so that is, a, is an inherent risk. Now, Apple, I know Apple is moving from China and they're trying to move to other uh, Southeastern Asia uh, Asian countries like Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, even India in some places, but India has their own problems and 
I don't see much investment compared to to that. And China still, I mean, make no mistake, there is still quite a lot. But what you're starting to see now is companies are saying, okay, what we have in China now, we're going to leave. But in terms of new investment, we're going to invest it here at home in the US because President Biden is a very generous man with the tax dollars and he is incentivizing companies to stay here in the US. And if you are incentivized to stay here in the US, then you may as well do it because the only reason people do go to China is because of cost. It's just cheaper. Uh, There's a a final reason I'll cover before I hand back over to you. And that is because China used to be a lot cheaper than it is today. But China went from, as we spoke about maybe one or two episodes ago, they've gone from a GDP of per capita of $2,000 to a GDP per capita of $12,000. Okay. We have gone from where they used to be rice farmers. Now they are, especially in Beijing, gentrified people that require high quality goods that take big salaries. They're no longer this really, really cheap nation where you can make things incredibly cheap. It's more expensive than it used to be compared to other nations. And so combined all these factors together and you have an area that's not as attractive to do new uh, investments in compared to doing new investments in somewhere like Indonesia or Vietnam, South Korea, Taiwan. Oh, you said it. (laughs) You said it. We're in trouble (laughs) now. Well, that's actually kind of encouraging because what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're saying that China had its chance to seduce the mega corporations of the world, and they kind of failed with their authoritarianism with their intellectual property theft and with their own uh economic you know troubles that they're facing just like i mean it's such a it seems like such a crock like oh yeah i mean what i'm trying to say is that china succeeded in seducing the mega corporations um but what they have done to seduce them is no longer good enough to keep them. And so they are, they are leaving with their new investment money. But make no mistake, they have already seduced huge multinational corporations, including Tesla, including Apple. Google? Uh, fuck me. A, a big, a Google? Uh, I mean, uh, fuck me. A big one was uh, ARM, which is a UK-based company that make um instruction sets for mobile processors arm is basically they license architectures for things like iphones and this that and the other and it's all open source and they had a chinese um subsidiary arm china or something like that arm hong kong or something like that and the guy that was running that over in china just decided to take the company and just stole everything um, so I would say now, it's behavior like that that is causing businesses to halt exactly, their yeah. investments. Ch- China is 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 a little bit like the Wild West, and while Apple has been able to do it really well, because but you got to you got to remember a company like Apple or a company like Tesla, like Apple had a guy called Tim Cook who's now the CEO, but his real thing was was logistics and supply chain, 
he has ran that company like a Swiss watch, okay? Everything is controlled. Everything is set up. And so there's not really much room for bullshit over in over in China to do with Apple because they have got that shit on lock. But well, if you're on the outside of that, if you don't have Tim Cook, you don't have billions of dollars, it is definitely like the Wild West, which we've seen with ARM, which we've seen with Alibaba, which we've seen with AliExpress, which we've seen with um, oh Evergrande. I just you could just name them constantly, and and it, it would just keep going, keep going on these Chinese corporations, didn't, or uh, corporations that have stuff in China. Didn't China try to arrest the the owner of Alibaba at, at one point? Like he had um, to. So I believe he had to live in Hong Kong for a while because China kept trying to arrest him. So this this again touches on what I'm talking about, like all of the big technology owners of china like people that own like the jack ma the guy that owned um alibaba um the cc people were, were were of the opinion that these people which is the equivalent of like an elon musk or a tim cook or whatever in in america you know these are quite powerful figures when they say things people tend to listen um and for the ccp that is a no-no okay um you can't have that because if they start if they have the ability to say things to people to listen but they have no incentive to say things that align with the ccp because they're not in the party and so they decided that these people that were the heads of these large tech companies were some sort of national threat to them and they decided that it was in their best interest to disappear Jack Ma or arrest him or bring him on side and so he disappeared for a long long time I assume because he he knew what was coming yeah <laughs> and decided and so decided to get the fuck out of there um and make no mistake even Jack Ma right which is just another Chinese thing uh you know Alibaba was made from code that they stole from eBay so even that is like you know another <laughs> thing that they you know so it's just you could just go forever with China. It's an amazing and also completely terrifying place, um, which is why companies are leaving now. But uh, so, do you think yeah, these the, are the missteps? <clears throat> you you think these are missteps by she and the and the CCP? Because I mean, they're they're hurting. They're they're having a hard I mean, economic time, just like the rest of us. Yeah, but they're not really. I mean, it depends. It depends who you ask. Like, is it is it bad for is China becoming more authoritarian and protectionist bad for the world? I'm gonna say yes, because people in general want cheap shit. And China makes all the cheap shit. The so, cheapest. <laughs> the cheapest, right? Uh, you know, maybe in the future not anymore because they're they're becoming, you know, more gentrified overall, but um but you've got to think about it from the CCP's perspective. Okay, the CCP need overall power all the time with no question of their power. Okay, very similar to the way the Soviet Union was run. And so their existence, the CCP, is only there to ensure the continued existence of the CCP and not the continued existence of China or the continued existence of the Chinese population. Um, so. You have to think about it from their perspective on why they're making decisions. Are they making decisions that are, you know, good or bad for the Chinese people? It doesn't really matter. They only make decisions that benefit them, you know. Uh, so 
you can imagine, right? If they make it more difficult for things to happen, they're doing it because there's a reason. That's why they got rid of people like Jack Ma, because that you can't have other people that are high authority, high figures in society, almost like celebrities. Um, you can't have that because the CCP is what says and what goes. Um, and well, and so th the celebrities are supposed to be the ones regurgitating the party line. I mean, that's exactly that's how yeah, it's exactly. been since so, Goering. Or, uh, exactly Goebbels, right. I mean. <laughs> so I think people have to think about it. Like, don't think about it as China. Think about it as a CCP. And when they make decisions, you've got to think about why they would do that. Are they cracking down on their people? Be, you know, that's why they're cracking down on all this sort of stuff, because they realize as people become more educated, as people become wealthier, they become harder to contain. And ultimately, they start asking questions. And I think you that's know, really why, poor, you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's why the authoritarian government model is so seductive to the Western leaders, because they got they, like they got the little taste with covid. And, oh, yeah, state of emergency, suspend the Bill of Rights, and uh, none of you can work, and none of uh, uh, all your businesses are going to go uh, under, and now we have all of this power, and, oh, man, doesn't that feel great? Yeah, let's go, uh, let's, hey, you know what, let's, let's go out to the French Laundry and have a nice meal, you know, you, me, and a dozen friends, and... Uh, yeah, there's going to be press there. Yeah, the peasants are going to uh, rage out about it. But, you know, fuck them. They're, they're the peasants. They're the, uh, the plebs. We're the bourgeoisie. Yet we have this narrative that the bourgeoisie is still the bits. It's like this same Marxist narrative. It's, it's actually more Maoist than, than Marxist. I mean, I, I really do feel like China is behind all of this because they've already got their capture of Hollywood. They won't, they, they won't let, I mean, this, and this has to be part of why the businesses are recoiling because China made this promise. I don't know what the promise is, but they made some promise to the big producers in Hollywood and, uh, you know, the, the CEOs at these tech companies that if they do these things beneficial to China, that it's going to turn out great for them. But then we look at a company like Disney who is like Disney, like makes the movies. I mean, I, I, I did a bit on a podcast, you know, probably a year ago now talking about the, the top 10 movies or the, the top 10 foreign movies in China. And, uh, or actually I think it was top 20 because 18 of the top 20 foreign movies in China were Disney products. So they're more than willing to make all of the sacrifices that China asks them to make when it comes to producing their films. But I think now it was just reported that Disney has lost like a billion dollars since they started yeah. all of the woke nonsense that has permeated our culture. Um, Disney's direct-to-consumer segment home to the Disney Plus streaming service reported a $400 million operating loss in the fourth yeah, quarter it's, 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 it's of fiscal it's 2023. And, and what's really interesting... As, oh, as 1.4 billion in the same period in 2022. So huge losses. Yeah, it's crazy. Huge yeah, losses. Crazy. Because people don't want to see the, the woke bullshit. They, no, they don't. And, they, and, they, they generally don't. Like, I don't even have a problem, like, 
I don't have a problem with gay characters and gay storylines, minority storylines, any of that stuff. What turns me off about it is that it's so obviously forced to remind you of all of the cultural conflict. Like, man, just yep. fuck off with that shit. I just want to watch a movie. And I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, the, the funny thing, the, the funny thing about this and um, the marketing to movie to China, um, actually, if I have to deconstruct this, I think movies that are marketed more to Chinese um, uh, morals, should we say, are usually better. <laughs> I think all the bad things about the latest movies we've had have had all the worst parts of what we've seen in the Western world in terms of wokeness. China is not a woke nation by any stretch of the imagination. They at ban all. a lot of that content. They ban it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you if you look at all the movies that people hate because they have bad writing, bad storytelling, um, and just an overall agenda on it. I can't I can't tell you that like, you know, there are some that are obviously just a complete cash out to um to China and they're just boring movies because you know, they take place in China, but they have like an American actor in the movie or something like that. But some of my favorite films have been have been Chinese films. And I think China has a fantastic uh, film industry. Um, and I think quite often when China, Chinese actors and Chinese filmmakers come together with uh, American filmmakers, some of the best shit happens. Great example of that is The Matrix, where a lot of Chinese choreographers did all the choreography for the kung fu scenes and everything it was just like the best shit ever um and so this whole like selling the movie to like china and the china senses i understand and there's a there's a there's a definitely a conversation that you had around like you know we shouldn't be censoring stuff that we would put in our movies just because china wants it but in terms of the things that uh are actually shit about these films i can't see where china is fucking this up for us i think this is done by ourselves you know we have written these shitty ass films that you know number one try to appeal <laughs> to too many people at once um you'd be better off making two different films one that's going to work well in the chinese market and one that's going to work well in the north american and european market and do that i think you'd be much better off because otherwise you end up with a product that's just okay and people might go see it but they only go see the first one and they don't go see the sequel because it was just okay. And you want people to keep coming to see it. You know, you want to see Iron Man 1 and then 2 and then 3 and then 4 and, you know, Avengers and then Endgame and then this and then that and whatever. Um, so I I'd, honestly, there are definitely some issues, right, which I think have mostly resolved. The cinema industry now and the films that I've seen recently have been so far beyond good compared to what I've seen in the last four years combined. I mean, great yeah. example of that would be like The Whale, okay? That was like, you know, Aaron Aronofsky's, you know, A24 film. Fucking brilliant. Went to the cinema, went, went to the Oscars, cleaned up. No questions asked. Nice job. Great film. End to end. Good. The Chinese, the more Chinese influence film, everything everywhere all at once. I fucking hated that film. A lot of people really liked it. I couldn't stand that film. Well, and see, that, that um, makes me wonder. Like, I, I haven't seen either of them, but I've heard good things yeah. about both. But that gets me back to things like polling. 
people see a poll, and this is why people are, are so upset at the Republicans for not being able to win any races. I, I think it's because they look at the poll and they think, oh, this is an accurate description of how the populace feels about this candidate. We don't have to, yeah, win, yeah. We don't have to invest many millions in these areas because the voters are going to turn out and they're going to, uh, you know, help us help our Republican candidate win that election. It's the same thing with you. You see things on, on rotten tomatoes. This movie got 98% or, or, or like the, um, the best picture winners of like the last decade are some unknown movie that people only see because it wins best picture. And then they walk away from the movie going that one best picture. Why the hell? Yeah. Why, why did anybody think that that was a great movie? But then you get something like Top Gun Maverick, which I also haven't seen, <laughs> but everybody oh, says such a good film. Dude. Oh my God. It's so great. It's so refreshing. It's just a great American action movie. And you don't hear a peep from them at the Oscars. Like, I think it was nominated, but I don't think it won anything or maybe it won some low level something, but it, it's, it's just an indication of the, the rot that exists in the media and how people are willing to sell themselves out and spin this narrative to make us believe that yeah, something sure. is a certain way culturally when it, when it really isn't. And that's where I take issue with all of the woke culture being shoehorned into every aspect of everything. It's creating yeah, this cultural chaos and that has to benefit somebody which makes me think it's coming from the people that would benefit from this, this chaos being created. And I, and I believe that it's American adversaries and, and just adversaries of the West in general, because we're all yeah. suffering the same cultural chaos. We're all suffering from the same as existential threats. But it is really nice to hear that China isn't doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean they're 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 going into a into a period of time which I think is going to be very difficult for them. Um, you know, I think the CCP will always be fine because they're they're working in their in their own interests, and it, you know anyone that sort of tries to make an argument that you know people are going to rise up against the CCP in China, I mean that is something that would never happen. That doesn't. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was just going to say like like. It, if the people of China decide that they don't like the CCP anymore, what choice do they have? Like, what are their it's, options? It's not, it's, yeah, the, the only the only way that ever happens is is a, is a military coup, and I can't see that happening because they're so fractured on purpose, pretty much, so that they can't do that. Um, and just to come back on the movie thing, if you want a really good example of the Chinese influence in Hollywood, yes. the fact that everything, everywhere, all at once, won a shitload of Oscars is no doubt a great, a great example of Chinese influence in Hollywood. That's the problem with Hollywood and the Chinese influence. Not necessarily the content itself, you can talk about it and whatever, it's just a film. But the fact that it fucking won compared to like all this other stuff that was there that I thought was better films, you know, com completely, <laughs> just just complete bullshit. But yeah, China's, China's um, going into a really tough economical stage as they are dependent on other nations to sell their goods to, as well as they have um, their fastest aging population on earth, okay? 
So that is a major problem. Their housing market has completely collapsed and all their major home building companies have basically collapsed into bankruptcy. And if that means a great deal for the Chinese people, because that's their only medium of investment in China. You're not allowed to buy stocks. You might be able to get a savings account, but they're usually pretty shit. So your only real investment, you know, I want to invest my money for the future is in property. And that is completely cratered, completely cratered. So if you'd imagine, you know, what would happen in the US if the housing market cratered? And I mean, literally worse than 2008. I mean, I mean, people would just to be deaths. I mean, they, they would yeah. literally be deaths because people would, you know, would fall into poverty. You know, so China is in a really, really tough situation. The CCP will always be fine, but what they do from here in order to get themselves back on track, and I wouldn't be surprised if they focus less on foreign problems, as I think they've become. I think they've had a, a period where they've done really, really well. And so they've had more time to focus on foreign interventions in America and in Europe and solidifying popularity and things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they do less of that in the future and focus more on domestic issues where they're having to put out fires in different economies and focus on the BRICS and they've got all their they've got you know they've got their yen or I think the yuan sorry the yuan that they've got to worry about as well so they've got a lot on their plate over in China and I think if I had to be a betting man I would I would imagine that they'll do less foreign bullshit um they won't invade Taiwan anyone that says they're going to invade Taiwan is a fucking idiot they're not going to do that it's all um, stalled out hasn't it well it's, it they want you to think they'll invade Taiwan right? Um, because it just heightens up the situation. And then the CCP get to say, well, the Americans are giving aid to Taiwan, so we need to do this. And it you know, unifies their population against Taiwan and the US. So it's just a way for them to, you know, internally in the news cycle, you know, uh, distract people from the fact that basically they have no job. Uh, the economic prospects are, are shit. Their house is worth absolutely nothing. And the second house they bought is worth absolutely nothing. And then on top of this, you've got the uh, young people in China that are laying flat. I can't remember the Chinese name for it, where they're deciding because uh, the outlook is so shit, they're just not going to do anything. They're going to work a basic job. They're going to live at, at, at home with their parents and just get by until they die or something like that. And lastly, the young population in China, um, they are massively overskilled for the kind of work that they do in China. There's a huge problem where basically nobody knows how to do the vocational jobs and everyone is super highly educated for like really high-end university jobs. And not a lot of people can actually immigrate out of China because it's very expensive. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's a pretty tough situation for China. I'm I wouldn't want to be a Chinese person right now. I'm much happier being a European, and in your case, I'm much happier that that you're an American because we're going to come out a lot better than China is. Yeah, I I agree with that generally. Although I don't know, I don't know if we're going to see a return to nationalism from the Western world or even, you know, like China has been with their, you know, Belt and Road Initiative trying to attract foreign uh countries and kind of bring them into the the under the 
watchful eye of the CCP. I mean, China's obviously got this worldwide influence operation going through local political offices and news outlets, and then even more broadly into Hollywood and big tech and yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, Elon Musk even has uh, a lot of ties to China, which, you know, is going to keep me eternally skeptical on Elon Musk. But yeah, it does I mean, if you, feel... If you look at the Belt and Road, if, if you look at the Belt and Road, most of the things that they did in the Belt and Road has been a complete failure. Um, they, they lent money to a lot of countries that they should not have lent money to. Third world nations that had no means to pay money back. They spent the, They never um, did any sort of like governance on who was spending the money that they were lending to these countries. So the Belt and Road Initiative is completely dead on arrival. 30% of it, by the way, was lent to Ukraine. Um, <laughs> and so that's why China was so pissed off at Russia, because they were like, we have given so much money to Ukraine for infrastructure projects, and now we can't get any of the money back or get the infrastructure shit because you've now blown it up. So well, that's, why, that's you... why China wasn't a complete fan of, of the war to begin with. Ukraine aside... I've heard it theorized that China was investing in these third world countries to sort of uh, purchase the fealty of these third world nations because they knew that they couldn't pay it back. I mean, I don't know. It, it certainly seems that China is reaping the, uh, the consequences of these bad investments yeah. because it feels oh, like everything sure. has stalled out. Like Ukraine has cooled off. I mean, in, in the media, on the global stage, even now with, with aside from the big protests in Washington, DC and across the United States and even in the UK, the, the leadership around the world continues to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. I don't know if Israel's going to go along with it, but now it's looking like, as you said, like China is in no position to wage war. It seems, I hope, fingers crossed. There, you know, the conflict in the Middle East is is kind of causing a pause in at least the the funding to Ukraine. I mean, Zelensky doesn't want it. He's you know being the squeaky wheel for sure. But what we, we we've stalled out for what? Like like what is coming? When when is your next election? Your next big election in the UK? Oh, it's next year. Yeah, there's the, the it's. Uh, I believe next year is around the world is the largest amount of people that have ever taken place in democratic elections. I believe there's a few countries altogether. And, oh, and the uh, the EU are are electing their um, MEPs, the ministers of the European Parliament, as well. So. There's a lot of people next year that are doing elections, so it's going to be, oh, it's just next year. It's just going to be pure content. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Man. It's going to be, it's going to be really crazy. That there could be some serious upsets. Uh, it could go either way. It could go. Actually, no. You know what I think it could do? It's either going to go further uh, right wing, or it's going to go more center left. And I think in the Western world, this whole far left thing 
um, is really coming to an end. Well, traditionally, um, center tra- traditionally center left is now like far right extreme. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so sad, really, isn't it? But, you know, I think, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak appointing David Cameron as the successor to Sewell Braverman. He's a centre-left character in, in the Conservatives, and, and that's a great indicator. Poland has now become more centre-left with their coalition. They've just formally uh, formed a government literally yesterday. Congratulations to Poland. Um, Canada, I believe, has an election not next year, but I believe you the year after or 2026. Um, America, you know what? I really like, uh, you know, I think I think if it's Biden versus Trump, Trump wins. Um, I think Trump wins all day. But what I'm unsure about, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, is Vivek is becoming quite a popular candidate. And I wonder once it gets down to the to the nitty gritty, um, I wonder how they will perform against each other, um, whether Trump or Vivek will come out on top, because it seems like, you know, Vivek is the younger guy. Maybe more people will want to bet on him. Maybe people will want to vote more for Vivek than Trump because Trump, people know what to expect with him. I'm not sure. I quite like Vivek. I think he's a... There's some things I don't like, but I, I I want your opinion. What do you, what do you think of the guy? If I'm Vivek Ramaswamy, I am in the, in this 2024 campaign. I am ingratiating myself to the Trump base, which he's done remarkably well. But I would not challenge Trump in the primary. I think. Vivek, Vivek would be wise to structure his campaign to come in behind Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. So Nikki Haley is the governor. Uh, so, so, okay, just so everybody's up to speed. Vivek Ramaswamy, private billionaire, biotech. He's done some business in China. Uh, Nikki Haley, governor of South Carolina. Uh, was an ambassador to the UN, I believe, in the Trump administration, and is she's only gaining popularity because Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is losing so much popularity, uh, primarily because he hired a bunch of morons to run his media campaign. So all of the videos that you well that you you may not have seen. But Ron DeSantis has basically become a meme because of his high heel cowboy boots and his insecurity about his height and, uh, uh, you know, other other things. Uh, But basically, Trump has just ruined him with those kind of things. I mean, I don't know how much of it is the fault of the DeSantis campaign and how much of it is the credit to Donald Trump. But I think. Vivek Ramaswamy wants DeSantis to be number one in the polls behind Trump because this will allow him to suspend his campaign, come back to run for president in 2028, or get the vice presidential nod from Donald Trump or get a position in Donald Trump's cabinet. 
as I mean, I don't I don't know what he would do. Chief of staff, maybe some people are saying. Because one of the things that Ron DeSantis did that hurt his campaign was he just came out against Trump. 80 million people voted for Trump in the last election. And they um, a large percentage of them feel that he got robbed, that the election was cheated or rigged somehow unfairly against him. They want Donald Trump again in 2024. Those same voters really liked Ron DeSantis. And those same voters really like Vivek Ramaswamy. But they're going to pick Trump. Unfortunately, Ron DeSantis may have just kneecapped the future of his political career because he's gone hard at Trump. He's been very critical, and that's upset a lot of the voter base. In the last poll, I saw Ron DeSantis only beats Joe Biden by three points, where I think Trump beats Joe Biden by 12 points or something like that. But that's if you believe the polls, because I feel like the polls are being relied on too much by the establishment politicians and, you know, Ronna McDaniel, the, the head of the Republican National Committee. She's come under a lot of fire because the voter base is saying that she is responsible for all of the elections that the Republicans have lost. Her, her argument is, we lost these elections under incumbents. Like, you really can't, it's very difficult to win an election against an incumbent candidate. Um, especially like some, some of these governors, they were, they're, like you said, they were center left Democrats that had been doing well. I mean, Kentucky, for example, is one of the big races that everybody pointed to. The governor in Kentucky was a Democrat. He was the incumbent. Kentucky elected very staunch conservatives, aside from Mitch McConnell, which is, he's showing himself to be an apparatus of China, which I've gone into many times. I have to think, if, if election fraud is out of the conversation, I have to think that the, the center-left Democrat governor of Kentucky did a good enough job to win his re-election. So maybe it's not all on Ronna McDaniel. But if you're Ronna McDaniel, who knows, I'm sure, much more information about how the elections were conducted, the kind of shenanigans that goes into these elections. She can't really come out and say, they're rigging the elections in these states. I'm not going to funnel a bunch of money to these unwinnable elections. But I don't know that that's what's going on. I think the best thing for us to do in the UK, in Canada, in the European Union, and here in the United States, is to get out and vote. If you live in a universal mail-in voting state, no excuse. Vote. You have to go and vote. Because even if foreign nations like China with the Communist Party, like Iran, you know, these, these unfriendly regimes trying to influence these elections and, and culturally manipulate the voters in Western countries, 
will be helpless to fraudulently influence an election if everyone turns out to vote. There's 330 million, probably 350 million people in the United States right now. And I think 200,000 of those are registered to vote, or 200 million, I mean, are registered to vote. They can't show 200 million registered voters with 400 million received votes. It's impossible. They can try and they will fail. So all we really have to do is take up the pen, which is mightier than the sword, eh? Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. That's why I make the big bucks. And get out and vote. Just do it. I mean, the future of the world is dependent on the outcome of these elections that are happening just next year. Less than a year away. Yeah, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not an overstatement to say that. Most of the democratic world is voting for uh, who's going to be running their nations next year. So it really is. It, re- it really is a, a change of the world moment. So, and especially if you're under the age of 45, please vote because um, most young people under the age of 45 don't vote. Uh, so please vote. Yeah, it's, it's your world. It, it's the world that you're going to live in. And, you know, you're going to have to take... Now, there are some reforms that should be made. There, there are some limited excuses as to why you can't vote. And I think it's incumbent upon the politicians that are in office now to create things like National Voting Day, you know, a a bank holiday where most people can have the day off just to go and vote. But now more than ever, it is incumbent upon you to cast your vote because this is going to decide. I mean, if you really want to believe in the integrity of your elections, get out to vote and bring 10 people with you. Because that's the best way to ensure at least a fair outcome. Maybe not a fair election. There's so much riding on these next elections that I would not be surprised if billionaires and mega corporations and and just the globalist establishment in general is going to do everything that they can to affect the outcomes of these elections in their favor. But if you go vote, you're making it harder for them to cheat. So with that, I will invite you to visit Vox404.com. Subscribe to this podcast on every platform you prefer. Share the show as often as possible. With the election coming up, the suppression efforts are cranked up to unify the narrative to try to make you vote in the way the globalist establishment wants you to vote. You can follow me on Twix at Earthbox, follow my co-host at 404 missing underscore link. And I would like to invite you to the Discord. And you can get that invitation by sending an email to the real earthbox at protonmail.com. Yes, yeah, uh really good conversation today, I thought it was it was uh really good. And if you wanna listen to uh another interesting one, the previous episode last week was really fun i was in a coffee shop and we were talking all things uh, uh health and obesity and all that sort of thing which is uh which is a bit different and i'm looking
uh, next week. So thanks uh, again for listening. Yeah, we should have talked a little bit more about that, but the conversation just took us on its on its own path. We're just uh, <laughs> we're a couple immigrants in small boats floating along the channel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you soon.